Hi, welcome to BCI Cattle Chat. I'm Brad White. Happy to have you with us and happy to have our full crew here in the studio today. Good morning, Brian. Good morning, Brad. Bob. Hello, guys. Philip. Good morning, guys. Dustin. Good morning. And we've got a special guest, Tara Allens, who's a first-year veterinary student here at Kansas State. Good morning, Tara. Good morning. So we're happy to have you with us, and we're going to have several topics we're going to talk about, including her experience with the Beef Cattle Institute internship last year, as well as how her first semester in veterinary school went, for those who are interested in the first semester of veterinary school and what it's like. We'll also have some questions from Dustin, and then we're going to get an update from Brian he has done a lot of work on antimicrobial stewardship and traveling around, and we'll find out a little bit about what he's got going there. Before we get into those, I've got some questions for you guys. It's that time of year where you may be, have concerns or fears. So I looked up some fears, and I just wanted to know if you guys knew what these fears were. Mm. So I'll ask. I've got, I've got a list here. And some of your ability to use medical terms may or may not help, help you in this. So, Philip, I'll start you out with an easy one. Arithmophobia. Come on, Philip. Fear of. Yeah, I don't really, I don't really have the idea. Fear of numbers. Oh, rith- Oh, okay. I was. Then I was starting to. You were I was thinking, thinking a lot more deep than that. Yes, I was. I was going arrhythmia, a myth, a myth. I'm afraid of myths. I don't know something, but no, I was not in the math category. You know, you know, I'm not thinking deep. So. <laughs> All right, Brian. Here's here's one for you. Xanthophobia starts with an X. Xanthophobia. I don't know how common this one. I don't know how common any of these are. <laughs> I, I don't know. The fear of the color yellow. Xanthophobia. Of course. Because yeah, of course. The next. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Of course. All right. Dustin, here's one for you. Hippopotamomonstrosis quipidalephobia. I could spell oh. it if that would help. Can I get that in a sentence, please? <laughs> <laughs> I think I have. Equipidolophobia. <laughs> What's the origin of that word? <laughs> it's Latin. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to guess it's the fear of getting questions wrong. I, this, is, this is where I, they used a lot of irony. It's the fear of long words. <laughs> ah, that is kind of <laughs> yeah. That's ironic. All right, Tara, here's, you're up. Omphalo... Phobia. Oh man, I I don't know. Umphalo. 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 O m p a. Yeah, I got a guess. <laughs> All right, what's your guess? The fear of a belly button. Yes, the oh. fear of a belly button. <laughs> See. All right, so I saved the easiest one for last, Bob. All right, thank you. Arachibutrophobia. Uh, I'm a scared of stinky spiders. No, it's the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. Oh, see, there you go. I don't know how many people have that, but now... It seems to me maybe that was a waste of time to actually come up with these phobias because I'm, I think you got a lot bigger problems than that if that's what you got your problem. Hey, that's if that's your biggest problem, we're doing all right. That's so, probably right. Tara, we're happy to have you with us today, and, and you participated last spring, a year ago, in our Beef Cattle Institute internship program. Through that program, we had several interns that came in, were able to get some different exposure experiences with people in the beef industry. And I may just ask you, what were your experiences like in that program? What did you learn? What did you like from that? Yeah, so it's great being here today. Thank you for having me, first of all. I think the biggest takeaway from my internship was just being able to have one-on-one time with these experts and leaders of this industry. That's kind of rare to get 
that many leaders in one place at one time just for you to be able just to have casual conversations with and just learn from. So that was amazing. And, you know, any any time you can have to just shake a hand and get your name out there is, you know, invaluable this day and age. Yeah, absolutely. And, and from the other side of it, we enjoyed the chance getting to interact with, and these were all undergraduate students. What were you guys' experience as you interacted with some of the interns last year? Well, I think one of the big things was just the fact to, to meet some of the younger students. We, we deal with veterinary students who are just a little bit older, a little bit farther in their career, but uh, the undergraduates and the fact that one of our goals was actually to get uh, undergraduates in contact with people that might be good internships, might be good future career options, and to see that interaction was really valuable. Well, and I think, too, uh, you know, I remember my kids are kind of going through career exploration right now, and I remember when I did that, there weren't I just didn't have a lot of exposure to things I didn't know about, right? And so um, a lot of the value, I think, is there's value in talking to somebody and go, yeah, I don't don't think that's really something for me. But then there's also extremely valuable, like I had never even thought about that as a career field. And and we had so – it wasn't just that we had, you know, what, 8, 12 experts come in over the course of the year, but – completely different fields of expertise, different jobs, different career paths. And so um, I, I actually learned a few things about what different people do within the beef industry. Yeah, it's, it's your great point there, Brian, is you think, oh, I want to do something in the beef industry. But you may not be thinking about, do I want to be a technical product consultant? Do I want to work in policy? Do I want to do something? I mean, there's all these career options that keep you in the beef industry that don't have to be one set path. So we'll be doing that that Beef Cattle in- Institute internship again this year for undergraduate students. So it'll happen this spring. So if you're interested in participating as an expert in the field, you can certainly send us an email and we look forward to it. Tara, I also wanted to ask you, how was the first semester in vet school? It was good. They said I could come back next semester, so <laughs> it's always a good thing. <laughs> That's all you can hope for. It's, it's always good in the rearview mirror. How different from undergrad was that first semester? Really just the workload was a lot more. And, you know, we were talking about this before. You know, they tell you, they tell you, they tell you it's going to be a lot, and you just you don't understand until you're in it. But it was really good. I enjoyed all my classes, enjoyed my professors. Uh, there was this one class, it was beef sustainability. That professor was a little goofy. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding, that was Dr. Lancaster. But no, it was really good. It was it was fun. It's fun to just continue on my path that I have been dreaming of since a while now. <laughs> what about kind of, did you meet some new colleagues or did most of the people that you hung out with in vet school had you met before an undergraduate? Actually, there was a few that I had known before, but a lot I met this year and I found a good group, and it's helped a lot, but I've enjoyed my class, and no complaints there, I guess. Having those peers is helpful to make it through. Yes, absolutely. Well, and Terrace from a small town, so it probably wasn't as big a change, but for people that don't know, when you when you start vet school, you're with the same 105 people all day long, right? And you don't, there's not, you don't take in different classes, it's not like undergrad that way, so... Um, it is it's really important to find that group of people and peers that you can hang out with and study with. And it becomes a tight-knit group. And yeah. Philip, she mentioned your sustainability class, which we haven't really talked about that before. That's an elective class that, that teaches 
lots of different principles of sustainability. How'd that class go last semester? It went really well. Um, we had 48 students in the class this last semester, which was a good number. And we went through some things on environmental sustainability, economic sustainability, antimicrobial stewardship, animal welfare, lots of different things. And then at the end of the semester, the students are uh, divide up into teams and we do some debates on topics related to sustainability. And so this year, I, I told the students that this these were the best debates that we've had. This is the third semester I've taught that class, and this was the best debates that we've had. They really put a lot of effort into it. They had good arguments. It was They were good. Well, that makes sense to me because, to me, sustainability is about balancing trade-offs. I mean, if there were simple answers, probably we could figure those out. But sustainability really is about trade-offs, which makes perfect teaching mode for a debate because you could have good points on different ways of attacking different aspects of sustainability. Well, the thing I like about that class is people ask the question, what is sustainability? Well, you spend a semester talking about it. So when they go out, they'll have some background information on what is sustainability. Mm -hmm. Speaking of questions, Dustin, I know you prepared some for us, uh, and hopefully they're easier today so I can get at least one or two right. (laughs) It helps that I'm sitting next to you and I can look over your shoulder. That's going to help me, I think. I I hope it does. (laughs) I hope it does. But we can – I still will assign points, and I'm pretty sure you're still probably going to lose. But but, uh, You never know. That's why we play the game. That's why we play the game. All right, so today's questions uh, come from the USDA Economic Research Service. Uh, They've got some pretty nice data visualizations. They do some charts and stuff. And so specifically, I pulled some charts called Charts and Maps about your state. So just some farm facts uh, about we're going to start off with Kansas, but then we'll pull a couple other states into this. Since we all currently live in Kansas, uh, we're going to talk about the top five cash receipts in terms of total dollars. So the top commodities. So let's just start with number beef. Number one. Beef is number one. Wheat. Wheat. I bet corn's number one. Number two. I'm with Brian. I think it's wheat. Uh, I'm going to go, well, it might be a crop. I was going to say swine. Mm-hmm. It's but, beef. Cattle and calves. Mm. It's number two? It's one. Well, one. Oh, well, okay, yeah. So now sorry. Let's go to number two. Oh, sorry. I thought we were already talking about number two. Oh, oh, oh <laughs> yeah. yeah, I did too. We all agreed. Beef is number one. Beef is number one. Wheat's number two. That's high grade, Brian. I'm going to go with corn. Corn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there you go. wonder when that what – I mean, it's probably recent. It's it, made I remember, mm-hmm. I remember a few years – I live over in Clay County, and I remember a few years ago when the actual number of corn acres passed wheat acres in Clay County. And that – I think it's moving west. I mean, it, there's a lot of places in western Kansas that didn't grow corn when I was a child that do now. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, they've got mm-hmm. some – We've got drought-tolerant varieties now, so it, they can make it. Yeah, they can make it in that dry land, and even though we do have irrigation in some places. Okay, number three, wheat. 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 Now that yeah, four soybeans. I agree with Bob. I think soybeans. I might go. With your swine might come that's, in now. That's Phil. what I'm thinking. It's soybeans. Bob is soybeans. four. I'm it. Four. Right. I tell you what, you I'm going to quit Bob right knows now. Kansas. <laughs> All right, what about number five? I would put this up higher myself, but. Hmm. Hey, hmm. I don't know. Bob's batting pretty good right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to stick with the swine. That we yeah, I don't there. think. I think that's yeah, got to be stick with swine. Grain sorghum. Oh, oh I didn't oh, think about that. Yeah, I wasn't thinking that. Yep. yep. Just some more farm facts. There's 57,700 farms in Kansas. Uh, net farm income. I, I divided by the number of farms just to come up with an average. 
68, almost $69,000 was the average net farm income 2022. Average government payment per farm is $9,700. Can anybody guess what the federal insurance premiums were just on average? No. No. (laughs) (laughs) And compare that to the uh, indemnities. $9,200 $9,200 in premiums, 32000 in indemnities. I'd trade that. Yeah. yeah. I'd make that trade. All right, really quick, we'll just jump to uh, Missouri, since we know at least two people lived in Missouri. No, three of you three guys. Three of us have, yeah. Uh, what's the top top three? Number one, two, and three for cash receipts. I'm going to go soybeans. Yeah, soybeans is number one. I'm the only one that hasn't lived in Missouri. <laughs> no, I'm not either. I'm, I'll guess cattle. Cattle's got to be up there. It, yeah, but I'm not Born sure it's number one. Raised yeah. there. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say I'd say cattle, beans, and corn. Soybeans is one. Yeah. Two. Man, it's. I think it's close between cattle and corn. I'm not sure which one, which order it goes. Yeah. I'm gonna go corn, corn. and then cattle. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Corn and then cattle, and then broilers and hogs. Yeah, I was gonna mm-hmm. say pigs and chickens and. And then the final state is Illinois, since. Philip grew up in Illinois. This one's a, like, Illinois has got to be an easy one. Yeah. What's number one is soybeans, corn, 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 corn. by far. Bob, you're two states. When you're you two states away, time. you're not as good. <laughs> you used to Hard live to there. I know. Uh, number two is soybeans. Number three, pigs. Pigs. Yeah, I don't think it's beef. Number, yeah. number four. Swine was four. Swine is three. What's number four? Oh, okay. Um, Wow. They don't do anything else except <laughs> corn, There's not soybeans, and pigs. I can't think it's dairy. Uh, it, maybe it is cattle. I don't, but there's not that many cattle. I'm, I mean. It's cattle and calves. Number is it? Okay. Number five is the best. Alfalfa. Any guesses? Turkeys. It's called miscellaneous crops. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so basically in Illinois, they've got corn, soybean meals, and pigs. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Yep. So perfect. Thanks, Dustin. There's there's a lot. I mean, if you want to pick your state, it's there. Uh, a lot of farm facts, a lot of just various production expenses, revenues, et cetera. So and, and what should we Google to find that? Uh, USDA Economic Research Service. And if you go to on their web main webpage, if you on the right hand side it's called data visualizations and they got all these different yeah, the cool thing is you've got nice charts, drop-down menus. You can look at stuff. So if you want to learn a little bit about your state, and does it go down to the county level or just the state level? Not this particular one. It's at the state level. Okay. Excellent. So you may want to look that up, learn a little bit about your state. Brian, you've been learning about not just states but countries. So you've traveled around, and I, and I want to start out by congratulating you. So you've been selected to be on the PAC-CARB, which is an acronym that stands for... It's the Presidential Advisory Council for Combating Antibiotic-Resistant Bacteria. Excellent. And it's the, that was your first test before that's they my first, let yeah, you yeah, on. Yeah, they had, yeah, they had yeah, this. Yeah. So, how many veterinarians and how many people involved with the beef industry are? Uh, I, 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 so we've, I've been to one meeting, and it was virtual meeting. It, it's actually a, it's pretty close to about a fifty-fifty split between. Um, veterinary veterinarians and animal scientists and human physicians pharmacists so people associated with human health care and then people associated with animal science veterinary care and it's not just beef it's all all industries um kind of kind of all aspects academic medicine regulatory all all of it's there so 
um, that, and it, the committee's been active for a while. So, so Dr. Apley here, who's here at Kansas State, um, was actually one of the original members, um, and he served two terms. So I think he was in for their four-year term. So I think he's been going for about eight years, and then I was selected this year to start. And so um, I'll start. I we've had our first meeting, so I started my four-year term officially last month. Excellent. So, Brian, one of the things that, that you've talked about and you've traveled a fair bit talking about antimicrobial stewardship. I know we've talked about that a little bit before, but tell me, as you traveled around visiting about it, what are some of the talking points or, or takeaways when you talk about antimicrobial stewardship? Yeah, so I, so I, I, know, um, I know people realize I was, haven't been on the podcast for like a month and sure you're getting hundreds of emails asking about yeah that. we were yeah there are lots of people I, I just had to delete them though oh, okay all right yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh yeah so i i left uh right after thanksgiving um and i i've been working with the food and agro food and agriculture organization uh for about four years now and kind of helping them with some um antimicrobial stewardship things that they're doing and and mostly with the folks in the region of the asian asia and the pacific so um, lots of different countries. I don't know how many countries work there, but um, doing they've been developing guidelines for antimicrobial stewardship, and each of the individual countries has kind of been developing their national action plans, and it covers it, it very much depends on which country you're in. Um, some of them are, you know, very early in that process, and some of them are are much further along where they have a national action plan they may be developing a reference laboratory network um, for doing testing it, you know it just kind of varies depending on which country you're in so i went over uh, i started in thailand i was in thailand for four days um, at a it's a fao um, higher level meeting um, and kind of giving some updates about things that that i've been involved with as far as developing breakpoints so that's susceptibility testing to determine if a bacteria is resistant to a antibiotic or multiple antibiotics right um so lots of interesting things there and then after i left that i went to uh the philippines so i was in manila for a few days and uh just just talking to veterinarians it was a veterinary association meeting um and i kind of talked a lot specifically about susceptibility testing uh but kind of some general principles about stewardship and and i'll repeat this but for for those countries, it's very interesting to me. You know, we talk about doing susceptibility testing here in the U.S. A veterinarian takes a sample, they ship it to the lab, and in a few days they have a result. For some of these countries, the veterinarians are telling me it takes three weeks to get the result back because the transport logistics, the infrastructure, is not what we have here, right? So it'd be very very different decision on whether you want to do it. Yeah, it's no, right? Yeah. I mean, that's not that's not a very useful answer for me if I'm trying to make decisions in some sort of timely manner. And we and we talk a lot about there are other ways to use that test and that data. And, and really, it's about accumulating data so that you can make future decisions. And so it's there's still some value, but not anything like we have here, right? And, and you, just, you just don't think about those things, right? There's not a local lab that can do the testing. And you're in a country that consists of multiple islands. It's, it just takes a while to get things from point A to point B. And the laboratories have the have similar issues with logistics. They can't get supplies to do the testing in a timely manner. Or they can't get service to look at the equipment or make updates to the equipment. So it's just there are a lot of 
challenges that we just don't even think about. Um, and so from there, then I went to Indonesia. I was in, so I was actually in two of the 10 largest cities in the world in this trip. Uh, I was in Jakarta for a few days, um, met with the Indonesian Veterinary Medical Association there. Uh, same topics, they, were, they wanted to do a little more lab focus. Their attendees were a little more on that side of it. So um, talk about the same things. Um, and then finished my trip in Malaysia and, and again, speaking with the Malaysian Veterinary Association meeting at one of their vet schools. So that was interesting. I got to interact with colleagues from a different veterinary school. Um, and, and, you know, and they're, they're kind of at a stage where they're, um, enacting some national legislation about how they, how veterinarians can use antimicrobials, much like what we went through. And I mentioned this to them several times. The conversations that they were having sounded very much like the conversations we had about five years ago in the U.S., right? They're starting to restrict some growth promotion uses and do some other things. Um, and, and so going through that process. But, um, yeah, overall, it was it was really good. And the, the big message, so part of this, this trip was they have a campaign going on right now for antimicrobial stewardship on the veterinary side. It's the, the Federation of Asian Veterinary Associations is, is – and it's called their AMR pledge. And so the, but the subtitle for their pledge is uh, small steps, big actions. And so they're really, really doing a good job of emphasizing, you know, as a veterinarian, you're not going to solve this problem on your own, but there are lots of little actions that you can do to help with the bigger issue. So that was kind of my role was to help, you know, kind of have some group focused discussion, but um, had a lot of those as we all do in meetings, kind of hallway conversations with lots of individuals about, well, what about this or what about this? So um, overall, it's really, really good trip. So the antimicrobial stewardship in other countries is progressing, not just here in the U.S. And you've mentioned some of the things that have happened here in the U.S. with the Veterinary Feed Directive, many are aware of, with some of the legislation this last year that came into play, restricting the use of antibiotics. It is there's some real value in making some of those, but we have to make individual decisions to treat individual animals. You mentioned uh, doing susceptibility testing as part of the overall program, but what are some of the other maybe core tenants? When you think about antimicrobial stewardship, if you were, well, I'll just have you since Tara's right here. Uh, she's starting out in, in vet school, right? Starting her veterinary career. What are the one, two or three things that you think will impact her through her career? Oh, so legislation is going to continue to be a big thing, and we're going to continue to see more regulations. Um, and, and I think the big thing is going to be monitoring and measuring, and that's where measuring use and monitoring use. And um, certainly, there are other countries that are doing that. Uh, we've, you know, we've worked on some pilot projects here for at Kansas State for the FDA to try try to see how that might be scaled up, and and there are challenges there too, but. Um, I think, you know, that's one of the things if we if we don't know how much we're using, there's no way we can improve. So monitoring and measurement will be a big deal. And that's and that's true both on a national scale and on my ranch on a farm level scale. Right. I get down to the scale where I say if I don't write it down, if I don't record what I'm doing, then it's really hard for me to change what I did last year to what I did this year. And that's in addition to some of the regulatory aspects, whereas if I'm going to treat anything on my operation, I need to be sure that they're cleared through their withdrawal period before they leave, that there's any other restrictions, making sure that, that, that those things are covered. And I'm going to record it, as we've talked about before. Yep. 
So anything else you'd share? Uh, most interesting fun fact that I learned, it's not related to antibiotic stewardship, but in Malaysia, they have been decimated by African swine fever. Their wild feral boar population has been decimated. And there it's been, it's so bad. They're actually worried about an increase in human tiger interactions because the tiger's natural prey, the wild boars are gone. So they're, they're actually talking about that. So I was like, okay, hmm. time to go. That's, that's, one <laughs> we, that's, one, that's one we don't have in Kansas. Yeah, yeah. They ask you to take a walk in the woods. Yeah. At any uh, point. No. no. <laughs> that's a good thing. Well, thanks for sharing with us. And Tara, thanks for joining. We appreciate you listening. If you have any questions, comments, things you'd like us to talk about, you can send us an email at bci at ksu.edu. <laughs>